Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and like us on Facebook as well. If you don't mind, please go over and uh, subscribe to the Thundercast YouTube channel. We're just trying to, you know, get some subscribers over to that avenue so that uh, you won't miss any of the content when it starts going up over there. Also, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting network so that all those shows automatically download for you when they get posted and all you got to do is hit play you're not searching around for the newest episode it's already there for you um it was a busy week in herd athletics a lot of uh a lot of ups some big ups and quite a few downs we'll get into all that this is going to be a relatively abbreviated front end five things and back end around the herd because i'm sitting here in the midst of you know, while albeit is a very light version of Hurricane Ian, it is still rolling through my neighborhood right now. And this, as we're recording, is like the worst it's supposed to be in my area. So I haven't had the most reliable Wi-Fi connection for the last hour or so, wouldn't you know it? So we're going to try to abbreviate what we can and get it all in. So, you know, you get what you can get this week. We just wanted to try to get something out there so we didn't miss an entire week. So... Let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Our roads are full of uninsured drivers. When they hurt you, your insurance company can become their insurance company. Insurance companies take your money every month, but they fight you when it's their turn to pay. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from uninsured drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. All right, Russ, let's start it off. I don't want to breeze through it. We'll talk about it, everything, but we might as well get things rolling uh, while the connectivity is good. So give me five things that every Herd fan needs to know this week. As usual, these are always brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one. HerdZone.com finally got its overhaul that has been in the process since April or May. Yeah, and I happened upon it just today while looking for something, and um, I didn't see anything about it getting ready to switch over, but it was a nice little cool surprise. Everything is uh, a little cleaner looking and uh, more streamlined. Stuff's easier to find. There's looks like there's fewer clicks to get to where you want to go. So that's always a good thing. But yeah, if you haven't been to the new HerdZone website, I recommend that everybody go over and give it a look. It's a lot easier to navigate. And there's cool stuff like videos right there on the homepage and, you know, plays and things like that. So they've made the redesign is pretty user-friendly. I'm digging it. I'll tell you why I like it is um, I'm on there a lot, all day, every day, especially trying to, you know, get some more info for this show, you know. And um, it used to be that they had... I think three news stories would be the most. And once you got a new one on there, it would lock the other one off. So now it has more that you can fit on there and click load more. And it's 
it's really nice. It it also looks cleaner and it's a good navigation over the uh over the old ones. So that's been in the works for a long time. I know those guys uh have been frustrated uh with trying to put things up because they were going to have to go back and reload everything. So good that it's up and uh, onward and upward just like everything else, right? Yeah. All right, number two, men's soccer is now number three in the nation. We will talk more about them and around the herd, but number three, man, we're keeping uh, onward and upward, right? <laughs> uh, onward and upward. Uh, yeah, big, big win uh, recently. Uh, a couple more games that are going to be tough. Man, they've got a tough schedule all year. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's that's why the. The Butler team that they lost to one to nothing, and you know they kind of dominated that entire game. They just lost one to nothing because sometimes that happens in soccer. And uh, that team lost to Indiana, which at the time was highly ranked, and they lost to Ohio State, which is now ranked even higher than that. Mm-hmm. So that was a good Butler team that they lost to and probably should have won. So this looks like a very very good. Marshall squad yeah and I mean you know what and for all the you know we've talked a lot about how good Sunbelt Conference soccer is but it's still I don't think is getting it's just due we keep talking about how the gauntlet finger quotes gauntlet it is to run through the Sunbelt East from a football standpoint and we're proving here early on in the in the um SBC conference schedule that the herd is running that gauntlet now as well. Still unblemished right now. You, you did get, you do get a draw in there. You, you end up with a tie, but still, still unblemished to a very good uh, West Virginia university soccer team and a really, really good university of Kentucky soccer team that uh, after that, after that draw, after that tie, the herd leapfrogs in the pole and um, just keeps climbing. So Kentucky's right there i mean they are right there i think they're still top five or top six too mm-hmm. but the herd goes from four to three after a huge weekend at home and yeah we'll talk about that more later on all right number three swimming and diving has released its schedule i have it up here and uh i'm just going to go through this to say that um one of those scheduling quirks they have six meets in a row away from huntington now a lot of that I have to imagine is joining this of course this one year conference yeah. and we are not close to the, to them but uh, I'll run through it real quick. It actually starts uh, in Morgantown and that's October 14th and 15th. And then they have meets at Bowling Green, Toledo, the Purdue invite uh, and then at FIU for Miami, Florida. Then they host three consecutive meets at home. They're against Ohio, James Madison, and Duquesne. And then they'll head to the conference championships in February in Iowa City for the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, I can't imagine that uh, head coach Hurricane Ian Walsh is happy about having six consecutive away from Huntington. But, hey, man, what are you going to do? It's like a one-year deal. You know, it was either this or try to piece together something from an independent standpoint. So at least this makes it easier to get meets on the schedule being part of a conference. So you take what you can get for a year, you drop back, you punt, you regroup, and you, you know, head to the Sun Belt where it'll be a lot more user-friendly moving forward, I would imagine. Yeah, and, um, you know, it sounds a lot worse if we were talking 
basketball or something like that, six series in a row that you started off. These are between mid-October and early December. So it's not like every week they are traveling somewhere. And the first one's just up in Morgantown. It's it's not as bad as it sounds on paper right away until you get into the meat of it a little bit. Uh, but it is good to see that that is just around the corner. We welcome bringing on yet another Marshall team that we can throw in around the herd because it seems like nearly all of them now we're going to have something <laughs> got to be the last one right <laughs> something to talk about for just about everybody uh number four the details about the 2023 nc state game have been officially released uh we had known about this for a while it's october the 7th uh that opens up a little bit of a scheduling quirk there that uh, we definitely don't want to have the first two weeks open so i'm looking forward to some news coming up speculation hat put on but some news coming up that uh we will have a an opening game added at some point to where we're not missing the first two weeks with buys and then picking up on the season but uh it's october the 7th cincinnati to get out of this for those that don't remember they are joining the big 12 and the big 12 has nine conference games so they had to get out of one of the games that they were in later on in the season instead of early. It just happened to be that game. They're paying us $850,000. NC State is paying us 150000 to come there. And then Navy, who had to back out, which caused the opening that we had, is paying us the two hundred and fifty there. So it's a cool $1.25 million from three different teams. Yeah. And you get an easily travelable game in a state where there's a lot of fans, a big alumni base in that North Carolina triangle region, you know, so Raleigh's an easy travel. Uh, the, the, the downfall, if you want to call it, that is NC state's damn good, man. They're really they are. good. They are. And, uh, that'll be an uphill battle. You're not going to creep up on an NC state team. Uh, that's going to be well aware of what you did in South Bend, Indiana this year. Even though we know next year's team will be a completely different looking team than this year's team. And uh, NC State has played the herd uh, in a couple of games, you know, in fairly recent history here over the last five, six years-ish. Um, there's a lot of familiarity there. So that's not a team you're going to creep up on. You know, whereas this was Notre Dame you're playing for the first time ever. They don't really respect you because – you know, they, they got Ohio State on the schedule and blah, blah, blah. That's really probably not going to be the way it is with NC State. There's history there. The proximity is close. You know, there's you're going to get the the full experience in Raleigh. Now, it does pose an excellent opportunity to potentially go down there and back-to-back seasons and put big-time wins on your schedule. So I don't really say there's too much wrong with this. You're, you're banking over a mill. You're getting a marquee opponent on the schedule. Um, it may turn into something else that they can, you know, while they're there rubbing shoulders, you never know. You might be able to work in some kind of basketball type series or baseball series or, you know, cause yeah, some belt baseball is a big deal. And if the herd's going to be boasting a brand new stadium, you know, maybe that's the type of thing that you can get some excitement around and we'll see where these things go. I always am intrigued on how athletic directors can turn one opportunity into multiple opportunities across several sports. So um, good opportunity here, nice, cool paycheck. And, you know, it's something that the fans can get behind. Sure. They'd like to have a marquee home opponent, but given the circumstances we were in, Hey man, pulling NC state out of this and, and a, over a mill to boot is pretty good. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, and we had talked, for just to remind everyone, that we had seven home games. We had added that uh, FCS opponent, and that was kind of why they didn't want to release it at the time. Now, in retrospect, you can look back and say, okay, well, they added that to they knew they were going to be losing this this game. It was a few weeks apart from that news that we were going to be losing Navy. But uh, we still have six home games. And in my opinion, even though we went down, obviously Central Connecticut State is lower than Navy. NC State is way higher, in my yeah. opinion, than Navy. Yeah. Um, and we picked up a lot of money. And money helps, you know. And again, I'm fully confident that they can get together. NC State seems to not mind to play um, G5 teams. That may change soon, but... Uh, they came up to to Huntington in 2018, so maybe we can get a one and one with them uh, for future while we're doing this. Especially if we go down there and take a big uh, big group to go down there and spend our money with them, you know. Yeah, that's true. Now, I guess the other thing you got to talk about that's not really NC State related to this is you mentioned before that now you're looking at early season potential bye weeks, and I think I was looking at this. Uh, back when this news was first coming out that central, what is it? Central Connecticut state or what is it? Yeah. Is what it, okay. I think it's them that doesn't have a game on the schedule for like September, the first week in September. So I guess you might be able to try to lean on them a little bit and say, Hey, would you guys be interested in bumping the game up a couple of weeks just to avoid that, you know, week one potential bye week and maybe open things up towards the latter part of September, whenever that game was. I don't I don't remember the dates without looking, but I remember it was like the third week in September, maybe. So it's easier to maybe find a game with more teams that late in the season than a week one game. So hopefully we can do something there. It would be disastrous on uh, to have like a bye week in week one. That's that's terrible. Now, that is not ideal for, you know, the rigors of a schedule trying to keep everybody healthy for 12, 13 straight weeks, but we'll see how it all plays out. But I like the, I like the way this NC state thing has ironed out for the herd. Yeah. And it's uh September the 16th is what I'm looking at here. We've got just to go over that out of conference schedule. We have East Carolina at East Carolina, September the 9th home versus central uh, Connecticut state, September 16th currently. And then Virginia Tech comes there on September the 23rd. So I would much rather have a bye week before Virginia Tech coming there and uh, play them early. So once you just get that done, call Christian Spears, tell him that it's your idea. We know by now that they're listening. So this is, I don't (laughs) have to really call the man. He's like, oh, thanks, Katie. I I didn't even look at that. We'll, We'll hop right on that. But no. I did. I went and went to FB schedules, I think it was, and looked them up. And they really, unless yeah. they just don't have all their listings on, they only had two games on the schedule for next year. So you're talking about Central Connecticut. Yeah. yeah I they think only, they, they only list because it's FB schedules. They only list the FBS um, teams that they would be playing. I don't know. Because it's, I would just assume that would be football schedules, not FBS schedules. You know, I think that was, I I always thought that was the FBS part of it because I don't think that they list the full schedule. I don't think it's FBS schedules. It's FB schedules. I know. I was saying the S in schedules was might be, might be one of those double meaning type deals. But yeah, um, I don't think that the two games that they had listed were 
FBS opponents. I don't know. But all I remember was that they they only showed two games and maybe they just haven't listed their conference dates and all that. Who knows, you know, but still, uh, I remember seeing there was an opportunity to, to go earlier in the season with them, which would be ideal. However, yeah. however you slice it, whatever the damn website means, it means. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go on to number five. This was just announced earlier today. Hoops in Huntington, October the 13th at 7.30 p.m. They're going to have a three-point contest, a couple other things, meet the herd, uh, women's and men's. They're going to have poster signing before. They're going to end up with fireworks at 9 o'clock, and there'll be a little bit of a scrimmage there. Uh, That's uh, for those of you that didn't see it. They are putting a makeshift court together, and it will be between Pullman Square and across the street there on uh third avenue um it's going to be shut down between ninth street and 10th street and they will have an outdoor event and it's kind of like midnight madness that we had before uh but it'll be obviously not at midnight starting at 7 30 cool i was wondering what that graphic of the court was that they had put out and it was, and i thought it was equally weird that it said this is going to look great downtown and i thought man this is going to be some kind of outdoor court because uh, I didn't see anything about that. So that's news to me. I did not run across that during my, you know, perusing of the social media today. So that's pretty cool. Uh, that's a different take on things. That'll be pretty neat. Yeah. So the graphic came out and then it was about an hour later, the the actual press release came out. And um, I I immediately thought when it said downtown, I was thinking, and here's that old speculation hat that I'm going to throw on. They're getting a new court, right? Yeah. In the Henderson Center. So it's almost like, hey, we're getting a new field. What are we going to do with the spring game? Do we want to have somebody on this old field that somebody could get hurt on? That sort of thing. They're getting a new court. Well, it kind of needs to go in around that time. I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll be, you know, doing the installation right around there, tearing up, putting down. So I feel like that's the reason that they did it. Maybe this will turn into an annual thing, especially if you're going to have a portable court that can be you know, just put down outside, but, uh, it did say first annual on the release, but that's where we're looking right now is seems to me they're going to be doing some work on the court around that time. Why not use that as an opportunity to try something downtown that will be different and cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't remember every, anything going outdoor like this. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool opportunity, even though, even if it's just a one-time deal, Mm-hmm. You know, but because so much kind of has to go right. You know, you're talking sure. about uh, mid-October. It's kind of chilly. It could be nasty outside, and you don't want to sink a lot of money and time and effort into planning something like that, and then just have the weather just not agree with you. But uh, yeah, this is, sounds like more one of those. Yeah, we need to get the court down. You can't really be in there. You know, we got to do what we got to do. So, uh, the, it's a neat opportunity for one, even if it's just a one-time deal. I, I think it's pretty pretty cool though. As you know, the speculation hat never lies. So <laughs> it never, <laughs> it never. also never really comes off. We do a lot yeah. of speculating. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's the five things. Thank you again, as always, to Ignite Link. And every week we bring you five things every herd fan needs to know. That's right. Uh, that's that's pretty. You surprised me this week with one of the five things, and that doesn't usually happen. But uh, that just goes to show you that Russ is doing some. Deep digging sometimes, and you never know what he's going to come out with the five things. But look, let's get into the 
Featured part of the episode this week, of course, we're going to recap the game that went down at Troy, and then we're going to look forward to this weekend's game against Gardner-Webb back home at the Joan for the first time in seemingly forever. Uh, but first, we got to talk about Troy, and uh, this is another one that you can chalk up under the disappointing category, right, for, for different reasons this time than uh, what was disappointing and what we saw the herd do in Bowling Green. Uh, the the final on this one's a sixteen to seven loss for the herd drops them to two and two on the season zero and one to start out the Sun Belt Conference play. Just not an ideal way to start things off, right? We all thought there would be a uh, a good opportunity here for a herd victory, and there really was. Even though you know that if you watch the game, which I'm assuming most people did, there was not much going on offensively. Uh, that you could get in a rhythm too. You know, it was it was a it was rough for the herd offensively, and still to only lose by nine points and not to allow an offensive touchdown to Troy tells you that they were in the thick of this game, right? So, uh, how did we get to where we got sixteen to seven? Well, right off the rip, four minutes and nine seconds into the game, the herd gives up a scoop and score to Troy, twenty three yard touchdown that puts them behind the eight ball right out of the gate. So. Um, it was it knowing now that it was going to be this rough to to amass yardage to get points on the board that was a killer right from the get go uh, in the grand scheme of things the herd was held scoreless in the first half I mean they just couldn't get anything going through the air only seventy eight total passing yards as a as a collection of of a, of, of offensive players uh, multiple quarterbacks played we just couldn't get anything going. Let's talk about those indicators for this game, and then I'll get your synopsis before we get into individual stats. Those four major indicators we talk about every week. Uh, this is one of those games that's kind of wild, right? Because uh, three of the four edge to the herd, and still Marshall can't get the win. Now, total yardage is totally lopsided. Only 174 total yards of offense for the herd coming in with over 500 yards of offense average per game. Huge drop-off, and 421 yards for Troy. Huge edge there for the Trojans. Time of possession is pretty close. 30 minutes, 56 seconds to 29 minutes, 4 seconds in favor of the Herd. First get, first downs go 15 to 13 in favor of the Herd. And the Herd wins the touchdown bat, or the uh, turnover battle, 3 to 1. But still can't manage to get a win. So... Before we start talking about individual stats and how guys did and, and all that kind of stuff, let's talk about this game. What what went wrong? What went – I mean, some things went right, just not enough things went right. So what about this one? Because I thought well, the Herd had a good, a good chance to go in and get a win on the road. So first off, this is easily the third different podcast – this week that we've discussed, <laughs> That's true. you know, we, we, we did a, a lot of discussion on this game during the mailbag that dropped, uh, uh, earlier today that we recorded last night with DJ Hunter. We had, uh, a guest spot on Sunday night when we talked with SBC daily, yeah. uh, a new, a new podcast. And we talked a lot about this game. I hosted the, uh, the spaces after the game and talked a lot about this game. And now I'm talking about it again. So uh, hopefully that I can, I can remember everything that I've said about this to kind of sum it up, but 
what went wrong is we could not do anything except for Kalen laboring on offense. What went right was a defense that didn't give up a single touchdown. They gave up three field goals. Uh, also, what didn't go right was to get those field goals and be in that position for that, we gave up six or maybe seven. I have my notes here. Huge plays of 30-plus yards, 30 and above. So we bent but didn't break. But when you are not scoring much at all on your own, we put up seven, seven yeah. points. Yeah. And that was on a very short field that came from a turnover. We uh we forced three turnovers on them plus uh a couple other turnover on downs or at least one turn turnover on downs, and we had seven points to show for it. Yeah. It was rough. I mean, we couldn't sustain anything. And and look, you can't say that Marshall just couldn't get it done. Troy's defense was up to the task. Yeah, they, they were. were up to the task. Yeah, we talked about uh uh I'm going to miss his first name. It was Court. What was his? Marshall. Carlton. 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 I kept thinking Corton. Uh, Carlton Marshall, uh, 17, 18 tackles. Uh, everybody saw the photos and videos of his uh, helmet with uh, the flakes coming off of it where it was almost white on, yep. on one full side of it. The guy was an absolute beast. He seemed to energize that defense. Uh, they were bringing blitz packages from everywhere. And, you know, a lot of people online are chattering about the offensive line and especially around the timing of coach Morrissey leaving. We've discussed this on, you know, a couple different times this week, but just for anyone that might be listening for the first time, we had a couple of instances where we went empty backfield and there was no one there to pick up the blitz. Uh, we had a couple of times that we missed that blitzer coming in, whether it's the tight end or the running back that didn't get that little chip on him just to, just to take it, uh, take it away, you know, give an extra little second. We, we had a couple of times where we had to dance around to try to find or wait on something to come open. And when you hold the ball a little bit longer and you're not throwing it away, Hey, there's a good chance you're going to get sacked. Mm-hmm. Offensive line did give up some true sacks. They did have some false starts and they did have some holding penalties. Definitely have something to work on. But, uh, you know, if you just pay attention to social media, it makes it sound like we played the 85 bears and gave up 35 sacks. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't really that. Uh, it's alarming to me that we couldn't pass and, you know, we, we put Fancher in and the, problem that i saw is when we put fancher in they 100 percent knew that we were going zone read and that he was not going to be throwing that much it seems like we put them in a situation uh fancher to put him behind the eight ball where everyone knew hey he's going to keep it or he's going to hand it off to laboring or or someone else so it it was frustrating from an offensive standpoint to watch uh, it was equally exciting to watch what our defense did, even when they were giving up these huge plays. You and I discussed that a couple of those were narrowly avoided picks that Stephen Gilmore or someone else might have gotten, 
and they just broke away and and 56 yard run or 68 yard run something like that yards after the catch because we jumped the route and almost intercepted it yeah uh frustrating all around and i've got more thoughts later but i don't want to dominate let you get in here and talk about some stuff. And then oh, we'll- no, that's okay. I mean, we're going to do grades in a little bit anyway, so I'll bounce off of some of the points that you make then. But okay. it, it is starting to be, you know, we a little bit of a concern. You know, now for the second straight week, we're seeing um, blitzes just come freer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you would think like, okay, we got to be able to identify that. We, we sat in film sessions and we saw what was going on and, you know, again, credit to Troy's defense. They probably game planned really well and saw some areas where they thought they might be able to take advantage of some situations, and they did. They did. But I remember sitting here one week ago talking to you saying, Russ, we've got ourselves a trend going in the wrong direction. It was two sacks mm-hmm. against Norfolk Southern, three or Norfolk Southern against Norfolk State, three sacks against Notre Dame, four sacks against Bowling seven sacks allowed against Troy. So yeah. The trend is continuing, and yes, I am fully aware that it, sometimes it's a, a coverage sack because somebody's not open. Yes, sometimes it's because we didn't pick up a blocker, we didn't a running back or a tight end, or somebody misses in a blocking assignment or whatever, but still a sack to sack, and it goes down the way it goes down. And yes, I'm fully aware that, like you said before, it may be a scrambling play and you get tackled a foot behind the line of scrimmage. Technically, it's a sack, but still, yeah. it, it's, it's starting to be cause for concern, and yeah, you know, we can say, well, you know, we think they'll get it right, but now the clock's t- ticking. You don't have time to, you know, work. A, it's it, You don't have weeks to get it right. It's like got to happen. You know, you get Gardner-Webb coming up, and then it's that's it. It's like every game counts in the conference standings after that. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll I'll bounce off of what you say a little bit later on, I'm sure. But, yeah, it was totally uh, just frustrating. I know I'm not alone in that. You're not alone in that. We are not alone in that. Um we couldn't get any sort of passing game going. I mean, 78 total passing yards between two quarterbacks is just – it's infuriating, you know. And and, yeah. and we know those guys want better. You know, we, we oh, know 100%. We yeah. know they don't practice all week to go, go out there and not be able to get 100 yards passing on the board. We know that. But yeah. still, it doesn't make it any more enjoyable from a fan standpoint. But let's talk about those guys, shall we? Uh, Henry Columbia leads the way from a quarterback passing standpoint and and it's not ideal eight of 13 for just 49 yards through the air sacked five times uh fancher accounted for two more sacks i didn't write down his passing yards because well it was less than 49 you do the math 78 from 49 kalen leborn the lone really the lone bright spot um 30 carries 118 yards fourth consecutive 100 yard rushing game and one touchdown, 3.9 yards per carry. That tells you that those were hard yards for him. He's usually up around that four and a half, five, maybe over five yards per carry. And that also speaks to how really good he is because we couldn't do anything offensively except for him gaining yardage. Troy loaded up to stop him, and they still couldn't stop him from getting that 100-yard uh, that hundred yard day. Caleb McMillan is your leader in the receiving Category both in receptions and yards, three catches for 37 yards. Talit Keaton and Kalen LeBourne both get two catches. Keaton has 18 yards, LeBourne 15. Uh, all in all, this herd offense uh, musters 174 yards, which is well over 300 yards below their season per game average. 
and they allowed what we have said in that many times seven quarterback sacks and a total of 12 tackles for loss. Once Troy really zeroed in and knew that they could not really have to respect Marshall's passing game, it was a real uphill battle. So there's a number of fronts that we've got to see improvement on as we look forward to Gardner-Webb coming up this weekend. Defensively for the herd, Eli Neal, Abraham Boplan lead the way. Both guys, nine total tackles. Eli Neal, five solo and one quarterback hurry. Boplan adds two solo tackles. Charlie Gray probably had the best all-around day of all herd defenders. Eight tackles, four of those solo, one tackle for a loss, a sack, and a quarterback hurry. We talked about chunk plays, and, you know, that's not a term that is just uh, has an arbitrary, like, eyeball test attached to it. A chunk play, for those that may or may not know, is any play that is 20 yards or more. So uh, the herd allowed, I don't know what the the total number was, but it was, uh, you know, somewhere between six or eight. You know, some of those wide receivers had two catches both of their catches went for 60-some yards. So I know um, for a fact that 30 and above, they had six at least, and I think it might be seven when I'm going back through my notes because during the game I was just taking notes, you know, and yeah. uh, and I wrote down the yardage, and, you know, I went back and ta- tagged them, and I think I missed one, but I had them for six. Uh, I, believe, I-, I believe earlier in the week I said four, and that's because I glanced at the stats – uh, and it was like just the long play, and I didn't realize, right. oh God, this guy had two catches for 120 yards, and yeah, you know, so well, I just accounted for one chunk play when it was actually two, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was uh, four 50 plus yard passes allowed and a 44 yard run. Now, the bright spot about that is we talked about how Troy wasn't a good running team, they averaged less than 60 yards per game or something like that, 65 yards per game coming in. So if you take away that 44-yard run, which I know we just can't magically do, but if you do, um, they are below that season average. Uh, They only rushed for 100 yards total on the day, and one of those came 44-yard clip. So the Herd did a really, really good job against the run outside of one play that busted loose. Uh, Impact plays, Micah Abraham does get an interception, and we see sacks by Sam Burton, Damian Barber, and, of course, the aforementioned Charlie Gray. Uh, Reese Verhoff, uh, 0 of 1 on field goals. He had one blocked right before halftime, which was really deflating. Marshall had strung something together there and wasn't able to get on the board right before halftime. He did nail his extra extra point. Uh, John McConnell has six punts for a 39.3-yard average. Four of those land inside the 20 with a long of 48. And Verhoff actually punts three times in the game for a 43-yard average. One of those goes inside the 20 for a long of 47 yards. Now, last thing we're going to do, of course, is um, revisit my keys to victory before we start talking about grades. Uh, the thing I said, we number one thing we needed to do was control the ball and the clock. Now, I'm going to give that a push because Marshall won the time of possession battle, and LeBourne did go over 100 yards and got himself a touchdown, but it was it didn't lead to a victory. So, you know, while they did do that, it didn't matter on the scoreboard. Uh, number two key to victory was take what was there, and we couldn't do that. We had no passing game whatsoever. We had lived and died by the short pass and the yards after catch, and we just couldn't get anything going from that standpoint. So we most certainly did not take what was there. Uh, we didn't have an opportunity a lot of times to even see what was there because that rush was on top of our quarterbacks so quickly. 
Number three, I said we had to adapt and overcome, and obviously that didn't happen either. We got a lot of turnovers compared to what we gave up and still couldn't translate that into points. And number four, I said we needed to sweat the details coming off of that Bowling Green loss. And I'm not sure that we did that either. The defense was up to the task for the most part outside of a handful of chunk plays that really led to minuscule points, you know, field goals instead of touchdowns for Troy. But we didn't sweat the details offensively. You know, we had we weren't playing complimentary football again. And that's the second consecutive week that one side of the ball has shown up and the other side of the ball hasn't fully shown up. So uh, that's, you know, like half of the four keys to victory that Marshall was able to check the box on. Let's talk about your grades, what, Russ. What do you got for this herd offense this week? I don't think it's a shock if you can't have – four quarters, 174 yards, 170, whatever it is, and do any better than that. And, and that's even with Laburn, you know, doing everything that he could, even though they were loading up on him and knowing that he's getting the ball and he still gets 118 yards. Uh, we put up seven points and the aforementioned short field to do so. Uh, we get an F. And I do want to say, that Troy's defense really did. I don't want to take anything away from them and say, well, it was just our offense sputtered. I mean, they did an amazing game plan. They they blitzed when they needed to from where they wanted to, and they did everything they could to win that game, and my hat's off to them. Yeah, they, they did execute their game plan. They had a yeah. good one, and yeah. it worked. I mean, it, it looked like they were able to – create pressure when and where they wanted to. And maybe that's just me in real time going, dang, you know, looking at it through Kelly Green glasses, thinking we can't get anything going. It may not have been as bad as I'm reimagining in my head, but boy, it sure felt like it. Uh, mm -hmm. But outside of what is turning into be a really special season for Kalon LeBorn, there wasn't much there. I mean, and, and it's just, we, we have too many athletes at the wide receiver position, tight end position, and too many athletes at quarterback positions to be able to be turned into a one-dimensional team. That's just the short and sweet of it. You know, you 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 have to be able to spot those blitzes, identify those blitzes, and start calling plays that allow you to neutralize that. I mean, even if it is the short passes and stuff, and and we just it just wasn't there. So it's a fair it, it's fair it's fair grade fair grade. We we uh, discussed on last night's show with the mailbag about Corey Gamage and how he was, you know, our number one receiver. He had one catch for zero yards. Yep. He, um, Shadid Ahmed, who we had high hopes for uh, coming into the season, one catch, five yards. Jaden Harrison, who is our fastest player on the team, you know, you think get him into the open field. Uh, he'd be dangerous yards after the catch. Two receptions, three yards. Laburn had two out of the backfield, and he was the second leading receiver as far <laughs> as catches went. Yeah, as far as third leading receiver yeah. from a yardage standpoint. Yeah, and Talik Keaton had uh, two catches, one for 10, one for eight, and Caleb McMillan had three receptions for 37 yards with a long of 21. Yep. Um, and that was it 
we had 78 yards passing. Yep. And, you know, Troy accounts for that on one receiver had a buck 20 on two catches. You know, yeah. so, and yeah, we've talked about, you know, why some of those happen the way they do. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when you get that defensive grade. But something's got to give, man. We're four games into the season. We haven't seen any waves made in the return game yet. You know, uh, Harrison did have a nice 29-yard return in this game against Troy. But as far as punt returns go, the opportunities just aren't really there. It's a lot of fair catches, and it's a lot of, you know, just not the not having the ability or not the ability, not having the opportunity to try to break one loose. So that should, that would be a big part of, you know, that momentum that we know is so vital in games. If you can, you know, get a, get a, get everybody's juices flowing to start an offensive drive because you get a decent punt return or you get a really good kick return. It's just, you know, we're, we're seeing things kind of go backwards a little bit. Uh, Huff has talked about it with some things are popping up now that haven't been popping up in the first two weeks. They are popping up in the second two, the last two weeks which is the, turnovers and the penalties and things like that so we've got to get this uh this vehicle turned around and uh get back to what was working the first two weeks quarterback play this week what do you got f 78 yards not gonna cut it yeah you know it's it's it was pitiful and i'm not talking about the qbs and them personally the stats it was just pitiful that we could only muster 78 now, again, as we have talked on three different times this week, I said that Peyton Manning or Dan Marino couldn't have been putting up good <laughs> stats back there when, you know, he got sacked seven times or, you know, total, we gave up seven sacks. Columbia got sacked five, but I had in some notes, third and long, Columbia's arm is hit, you know, almost an interception. We They hurried on uh did qb hurries let me get back over here to them four additional qb hurries so they almost got him or fancher four additional times mm -hmm. that has to be ridiculously tough when you are in shotgun and they're still getting to you within two seconds and you can't get a throw off yeah so uh again a lot of that is just Top to bottom offense, but hey, 78 yards is 78 yards. I got to give him an F. When I was watching this game, I was thinking, man, this reminds me of a game from a couple of years ago. And I bet you there were some other fans that were thinking the same thing. And it was when Marshall went out and played Boise State. You know, they, yeah. lose, they lose that game. Boise was 24th in the country, right? Marshall goes all the way across America to play them in a really good marquee type matchup. And Marshall loses the game 14 to 7. And in that game, um, we had one turnover that really you know, kind of uh uh like jump started our scoring, what, what the seven points that we got. And it was an interception by I believe Omari Cobb. But in that game, we we couldn't get any sort of passing game going either. And then quarterback Isaiah Green, I brought the stats up while we were while you were talking there. And I wanted to see how close they were. And he went 10 of 17 for 56 yards in that game. And Marshall lost mm -hmm. by seven. So I was I, I knew it was eerily similar. And this is one of those things. The defense played really well. And, and it, Brendan Knox in that game had 10 carries for 71 yards, over seven yards of carry. And we're, you know, we're I remember at that time thinking, how come this guy doesn't have 
25 carries in this game. He, he is all that's working right, you know, right now. And we did see Labor get 30 and 30 carries in this game, and it and it's because it's what was working. So eerily similar, like a history repeating itself type thing for the herd. But anyway, you slice it. The 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 offensive play and the quarterback play in this game was was not ideal. And I remember early in that game, Xavier Gaines just like nearly going off, you know, and everyone was talking about his versatility. Seems like he had a, uh, you know, I'm seeing he was zero for one on passing, but it was bringing back a hit uh, that he threw the pass and that it was almost a touchdown and we just missed it. And that was early in the game. That that may be a faulty memory of mine, but I remember him having a big catch early, uh, a catch and run, and uh, maybe an end around that he had that was good, and that pass that should have been a touchdown. And then all of a sudden, we did nothing the rest of the game. Yeah, it, it so. was it was it was rough, and this one was equally, you know that that type of game. You know, you had an opportunity to win it. At any point, if some few things go right for you, you either tie the game or you get some momentum building to where you can tie it and then take the lead, and we just weren't able to do that. How about the defense? What do you got for the defense this week? Man, I'm going to have to do a B minus, and that is after a smothering, dominating performance of not giving up an off an offensive touchdown, uh, holding them in the red zone, holding them, you know, all these different uh, scenarios but we again gave up we had some penalties and we had some big massive plays that we gave up that let them have that field position to win the game so otherwise I mean you're talking about definitely if we tip one of those balls that uh, went for a long or didn't bring, uh, didn't have them break a pass. I'm looking at an A plus. You know, I mean, it was a great defensive effort, but we still gave up 300 plus yards in the air, and a lot of them were on big, big plays. You know, it's uh, I think five plays of 40 plus yards. You know, so there's 200 yards there on five plays through the air. So I'm going B minus, and it's it's just because of those big plays. It is and, and, and the penalties. I'm yeah, sorry. And, it, it is. And you know, I said I don't remember which episode it was. It might have been the mailbag episode. It might have been with SBC Daily. But I said I will never fault our guys for being aggressive if they th- think they can make a play and get that interception. Because if you do get that interception, then you're talking about how unbelievably awesome of a play it was, right? So. Uh-huh. If you want your guy to sell out to try to get those plays for you when they go right, you have to be okay with being burned on one every now and again when he doesn't get it, right? So it, it's a mixed bag for me too. Uh, B-ish is okay, you know, because uh, you don't give up an offensive touchdown like you said. You clean up a few of those uh, chunk plays if they go your way. If you tip the ball or you pick the ball off, all of a sudden you've created some momentum for your offense to try to get something going the other way. And let's Let's face it, if you give up a pass that went 60 yards, well, hell, you're 60 yards closer to the end zone at least. So, you know, again, this this herd team seems to be a story of play here and play there, and you're looking at a vastly different record. And unfortunately, right now, we're coming up on the wrong side of those plays. You know, maybe we can get those to start swinging our way again. 
But for right now, you know, if this defense doesn't play as well as they did, Marshall could have easily been blown out in this game. If those field mm-hmm. goals turn into touchdowns and it's 28 to 7 and you're thinking, "Geez, what happened?" you know, but that's not what happened. They 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 took calculated risks and they didn't necessarily hit on those calculated risks and it led to big plays, but then they stiffened right back up and forced field goal attempts. So um, it's a great all-around effort for those guys. If you just get rid of a handful of those chunk plays, you're looking at really, 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 really good numbers for the herd. How about uh, special teams this week? I'm going to give them a B, and that's uh, largely on the – I. it just – it wasn't – it wasn't much above average. It was a very – Non, not a whole lot of mistakes. You've said a lot of times, as long as they're not making mistakes, you know, it's it kind of out of sight, out of mind. I don't put the 34 yard block field goal on the kicker. Uh, that is special teams, though, but you know, I guess I should count that. But in my mind, that's just more problems from the offensive line standpoint. It's the same line, give or take a few guys that are lining up to, blo- uh, to block for the extra points in the and the field goals. And we just let the guy right through to block. And uh, that might not have been an offensive lineman. I didn't see who he ran right past, but he was unblocked. Yeah, he ran right past somebody. Ran right past him. <laughs> so I guess let me revise that because even though, I mean, by definition, that was a special teams play. Uh, so that brings it down quite a bit for me. I know that's one play, but it's a big play, especially at that point. We're going down to try to put something on the board before we get the ball back to start the half. Could have changed that big mo, uh, get the momentum going in our direction. I'm going to switch that from a B to a C minus just on the basis of that one play. I was originally attributing that to chalk that up to the offensive line, but that's a that's a special teams play, it man. It's a special teams play without a doubt. I mean, you can kind of put those on the kicker a little bit more so when it's when the snap is good, the kick gets off, and you know a defensive lineman jumps up and blocks it because then you can say, oh well, the kicker didn't put enough underneath yeah. it, and it, you can get into whatever you want to do. But this one was an unblocked defender that came. I mean, we're lucky he didn't just like kick it right into his hands and go the other way. It wasn't like barely got a fingertip on it. It was like he almost kicked him in the freaking stomach with the ball. It was that free. Yeah, and I like I said, I originally, because I wasn't attributing that to uh, the kicker, so I'm like, I'm not going to penalize. But, you know, when I start to say it out loud, I'm sitting here thinking it doesn't matter if it was offensive line or whatever. It was during a special teams play, so it's on the special teams. Yep, and anytime you have to have nine punts in a game, that's not ideal. But, boy, oh, boy, our guys, both of them, Veerhoff punts for the first time this season, and he, and he, you know, has three good, solid punts. McConnell just continues to be that inside-the-20 guy. I mean, early on in this season, he's really looking like a first-team all-conference punter. Uh, even if the, y- the average yardage isn't, like, up there around 50, He's consistently putting balls inside the 20 to force long drives for the opposition. That's a bright spot. Finally, we see a little bit of an a little bit of a breakthrough in the kick return game. I mentioned Jaden Harrison's 29-yard return, which is nice. But um, you know, we really needed that field goal to get some momentum going into halftime to not, you know, 
go in with no points and it would have been nice. You don't know how, you know, the herd comes out at halftime and, and does things if they go in with some points on the board. So that's rough and it's a fair grade. Do you remember when we were talking, uh, uh, on the position groups and we were covering special teams and I commented on when you first look at the shallow stats that the punting average was just not there last year for our punter that, that uh, McConnell's going to be replacing. And then you start looking into it more. Well, you can't punt inside the 20 when you're on your own four, when you're punting, right. you know, and there's a couple of those that if you're punting from the, uh, 38 yard line because it's you don't have the kicker that can kick 55 yards and you're trying to pin them back so you get some inside the 20 inside the 10 inside the five even your average is not going to be there because you're punting again from the 38 you know so it's going to bring it down McConnell had 39.3 on his average he had six punts four of them were inside the 20 and when you're punting that many times inside the 20 by nature, usually that unless you're just booming them like Reggie Roby from the other end of the field, you're looking at shorter punts on average uh, under that 45 mark. But I know at least one of those six, one that wasn't inside the 20, it went to close to midfield or because we were just pinned back so far, man. Yeah. I mean, there's just not a lot that you have to work with there. Yeah, he's he's coming up really clutch for the herd week in and week out. So he he consistently is bringing that special teams grade up or keeping it up, you know, in lieu of some other stuff. Like this week it was a block field goal. Last week it might have been something else. But uh, what do you got this week for the coaches? An F. Um, I, I, you know, obviously I can't do any better. You know, and I'm not going to be one of these guys. Hey, you got to run so and so out of town. That's not me. But uh, we put up 170 yards on offense. We didn't make the changes necessary. Maybe it's that we need to go to a two back set that uh, uh, 22 personnel that DJ had mentioned, you know, whenever we get Ali back to having two tight ends and two running backs to, to go with that we could have mixed it up a little bit when things weren't working and said, we're at least going to stop them from getting into our backfield. And we didn't do it. Uh, we weren't creative on the offensive side of the ball. We became one dimensional, especially for series after series after series when Fancher was in. Uh, I just, I, I can't give a seven point performance, 170 yards, anything more than an F. You know, uh, I know the coaches are not out there making these plays and executing, but we did not have a good game plan to counteract, especially in the second half after seeing what they did in the first half. It was just more of the same. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, the, the lion's share of this grade falls on the offensive side of the ball because we talked yeah. about how well the defense did just to keep Marshall close enough to string some things together to try to win this game so kind of hats off to Gidry and and those dudes for getting the job done to a certain degree again the the uh chunk plays really bit them but uh offensively it's really down there I mean LeBorn is running the ball and you know that it, it doesn't take much to say well eight's about all we got give him the ball 
you know, uh, I, I could, I think I could do that too. Uh, mm-hmm. The problem lies not just in the game plan you have going in, but you know, it's it's your, it falls on them to recognize and uh, make a, and make adjustments. And it didn't seem like that's what we did because the pressure was there all game long. You know, the, the there was no turnaround from you know, the first to the second half in the passing game, really, it was just, it was frustrating from beginning to end. I mean, really, once the scoop and score happened, it was like, oh, man, now, you know, we've given them an early momentum, you know, builder. We've given them, we've spotted them seven. Uh Uh-oh, you know, because you're expecting some big things. You're expecting Marshall to go come out and at least have a good drive to open things up and, and do some stuff and, it just it, early on in that game, you spot seven points and was really just too much uphill from then on. And then when you throw together that, you know, we couldn't pass the ball and then you throw in and we couldn't adjust to the pressure that we were succumbing to all game long, it was just frustrating. I don't know how we can tie a fan grade into this unless you want to continually talk about things you see on social media. Uh, but if you have a grade for the fan base this week, you can share it. I I'm gonna say uh, D, and a lot of it is the jumping off a cliff. We're never gonna win another game. <laughs> uh, you know this team is horrible. Maybe even um, I, I saw some players' parents having to kind of say, "You guys are ridiculous." I'm you know I'm getting off social media for a while and I'll defend my son forever and things like that. And it shouldn't come to that. And we kind of talked about that a little bit with DJ last night. And that was my question to him. Um, I wish we wouldn't do that, man. Uh, I take, I take losing tough. I don't like it, you know? Um, And that's in everything. That's not, you know, that's things that I do. I don't like to lose, but I also try to be, cognizant of i'm not going to get on here and talk crap about something uh i'm not going to let it consume my week i'm not going to make it my entire life you know i've got a lot more going on than martial football and martial athletics red sports as much as i love that stuff and i'm a diehard i mean we got a friggin' podcast about it <laughs> that we devote hours to in our evenings and weekends yeah. obviously it's a big deal for us yeah and and i'm i'm still not on that ledge i'm just like ah, it's it's horrible that we lost it was a bad loss i don't i don't enjoy it but I'm not going to get on there and say, we'll never win another game, or I can't see this team winning more than two games the rest of the year. And here we go again, and the season's over, and I won't be going to any more games. They won't get a dollar out of me. None of that helps, you know. Uh, But I also don't want to screenshot those, and when we win six in a row and those same people are just flying around with Mm -hmm. – with wings of gold talking about how great we are, you know, I don't want to remind them of that. I just wish that everyone would kind of come down more to the middle and not, I had, had a good friend and neighbor tell me today and it was not, this is not verbatim, but he was like, the losses are not as bad as you think. He wasn't talking about this season. He's talking about any season, any sport. The losses are not as bad as you think. The wins are not as good as you think we tend as fans to overreact 
And that was, that was pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here thinking of some of our statement wins over the years and you just uh, immediately you're on cloud nine. Well, my team could beat anyone, you mm-hmm. know, and that's not true. You know, obviously, you know, we talked recently as last week about going undefeated, how rare that is, you know? So I just wish the, the fans would kind of center out a little bit more and uh, just because of the social media, I'm I'm giving them that grade. Well, you never know what's going on, right? So if you are a gambling man and you're upset because Marshall didn't cover for you, well, maybe you should just bet on other teams. Yeah. You know, may, maybe you should just not bet on your own team if that's what you're doing, you know? Um, I'm like you, man. Like, I love to win. I love it when the herd wins, and I don't like it when the herd loses, but I also don't think that they're doing it to me personally. You know, it's like... I really wanted you to win that. Why'd you guys let me down? I mean, come on. It's, 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 it, it, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, again, I'm not the, the, the fan base police. You be the type of fan you want to be. But if you think being, um, you know, condescending on social media or always saying something to try to get a reaction or, you know, what, if that's the, what you think will work, well, I think you're creating more enemies than friends, you know? Um, I don't think any of these guys are going to respond to you just because you're being outlandish on social media. And I'll say it over and over again. Uh, as a parent, you love your kids when they achieve and you love them harder when they come up short because, you know, they they need the support. They need to know you're behind them no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm behind these kids no matter what. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters to me if we go 0 and 12, but it doesn't matter to me. You know, it doesn't affect me. Like I still want them to do well, but it's not going to change my perception of the university that I love. If we can't win a football game, come on. Do you, you remember, and I hate to bring these up, but those early Snyder years when we were like in the bottom 10 every week, ESPN's bottom 10. And we went like three and nine, something like that. I went to every Every single game. game, um, had season tickets, went to every single game. I encourage everyone to stay on the train uh, and don't jump off. Even if we go eight and four, like we just talked about on the podcast last night, what is a good season? You know, eight and four playing for a conference championship, which is very, very doable, If especially if you're beating up on each other in this gauntlet of a, of a a division inside this conference and going to a bowl and winning, you know, I think there's a lot of people that on social media would say, Oh, it's horrible because we weren't in the new year's six bowl, man. It ain't going to happen. You know, we would have had to have beaten, which we did Notre Dame and then basically run the table because they would rather give a 10 and two team that is getting ready to be a P five, like a Cincinnati they would rather them go back than an undefeated G5 team that is not. As much as they've loved on the Sun Belt early, they're not going to do that because ESPN is not the the voters in this. It's some ridiculous people that shouldn't be voting that are handpicking and they are like, well, there's no way that someone should be up here with our lofty SEC and Big Ten teams. Uh, it's just, it's it's not in the cards. 
you know, our ceiling is a very good bowl game and we should be trying to win conference championship every year. We've had one conference championship game. I mean, one conference game this season. It is early. We have a chance to go through and make a statement against the rest of these teams. We also talked several different times about how many plays away we are from being 4-0. Bowling Green, you just pick one of the two. Like I said, one of the two fumbles inside the five, and it goes for a touchdown. We don't even go to overtime. If the rest of that game goes the same, we score both of those, and we win. Even if everything goes the same, 42-28, to we would have said, well, they had something in that second quarter where we gave up 21 points. But, I mean, otherwise, we just shellacked this team and put up 40, and it was on the road, and we came out with the victory. Mm-hmm. If if we don't give up some of these big chunk plays and we squeeze out a very hard-fought battle, we would have said they, Troy, threw everything they could at us. They were blitzing from everywhere, and we still managed to win 14 to 13 or 14 mm-hmm. to 14 to uh, 10, you know, something like that, we would have been talking about. No one would be saying much at all on social media if we were 4-0 and and had squeaked out by three plays against Troy and one against uh, Bowling Green. What you would be getting is, hey, 4 and is 4-0. and That's all I know. We're 4-0. Yeah. It doesn't matter how we got there. We're 4-0. and That's what you'd mm-hmm. hear. Also, let me kick it to you this way. Marshall goes on a streak here, and they represent the East in the Sun Belt championship game. Let's say, well, look who might be looming there for a rematch. You could have an opportunity to face Troy again in an even more important game and say, you know what? You beat us in the regular season, but we're hoisting the trophy now. So who got the last laugh? And with, you know, some people that, again, still have not taken a snap. Are not on the field yet. Yeah. And. And, you know, I think that we're looking at a different game. I know you, everybody says, well, Laburn has, you know, chipped in with that. Guys, it is not the same if you have a healthy Rasheen Ali and a healthy Kalen Laburn, <laughs> yeah. and those are your number one and number two. <laughs> it is, I mean, we see what Laburn's doing. Can you imagine bringing him in after Rasheen Ali has worn down these defenses? Yeah. And who's to say that as good as Laburn has been, that Ali wouldn't have been doing even better, you know? I mean, hopefully we'll see that sooner than later. We'll get to get a test of that. And thankfully, you know, though we're two and two, we're going to be moving into the real tough part of the schedule following this Gardner-Webb game. And Mm -hmm. hopefully by then, with the rest that we've got sandwiched in with that midweek and all this kind of stuff, whenever – Rashin Ali makes his return, he should be at 100% and able to make a full go of it. So, uh, last segment here before we move into the Gardner-Webb preview, who's your offensive MVP for the week? Laburn. Uh, I mean, he's the only offensive player of the week uh, that showed up, really, on on the stat line. Yeah, fair. On the stat line, yes. Everybody played. It's nothing yeah. else worked other than the run game for Kalen yeah. Laburn. Defensively, who you got this week? I got to give it to Charlie Gray. He seemed to be all over. I mean, the stats after the game showed that, but the eye test during the game just said, hey, Charlie Gray is in on everything. Yeah, it's a good pick. He did have a really good all-around game and, um, you know, accounted for one of the Herd's three sacks. It's nice to see, you know, Charlie have some marked success because he he he's in and around the ball all the time, but mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily get credit for that half a tackle. He might be a half a second late 
making the hit. You know what I mean? When the tackles already occurred. So and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I I say, he's always done. all around the ball. So it's nice to see that stat line reflect that this week. And I have to give honorable mention to uh, the Iceman, Micah Pick Six Abraham. That's <laughs> that's his new nickname, whether he likes it or not. But um, he put us in the position for our only touchdown with yet another interception. Yep. Uh, special teams MVP, who you got? Uh, McConnell. <laughs> I mean, four inside the 20 out of the six and at least one of the other two he had no chance of getting into inside the 20. Uh, just under 40 yards per punt, some of those uh, on a shorter field to be able to do that. So, I mean, he just continues to put us where we need to be. Yep, a very consistent weapon for the Herd this this uh, 2022 season. Uh, I don't know if you've got any final words on Troy or if you just want to close the book on it and move forward. If you do, let me have them. I will say this as a final word. I have spoken about this game now on social media <laughs> and 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 via my mouth on recorded topics and unrecorded <laughs> topics on spaces and here for about five separate times. So I am ready to move the hell on. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is actually um, a, a props to Troy. That's what I'll say. That yeah. helmet I saw today that uh, belonged to Carlton Marshall, they put it in the Troy Athletics Hall of Fame because of the uh, obviously the way it looked after the game and the fact that it was an 18 tackle performance which uh, made him the Sunbelt Conference's all-time leading tackler and he's still on pace potentially to be the uh, all-time leading tackler in uh, FBS, I think. So I can't can't take anything away from the guy. He's been doing it for a long time, and he's just a really good player. So shut the book on Troy, and let's look forward to this week. The Herd is returning home for the first time in probably about 150 years this week. Sure seems that way anyway. It's mm -hmm. been a long, long road trip for the Herd. They haven't been at home since the opening week of the season. And Gardner-Webb comes to town uh, this Saturday, October the 1st, at 3.30 p.m. at Jones C. Edwards Stadium. If you're not going to make the game like I am not going to make the game, uh, I'll be watching on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Gardner-Webb, what are they this year? Well, they're 1-3 and three on the season with the, the, the most important game of note to herd fans is a narrow loss to Coastal Carolina, undefeated. Coastal Carolina, a narrow loss to Coastal Carolina, 31 to 27. I think it was in week two. Mm -hmm. uh, this will be the second all-time meeting between the Herd and Gardner-Webb. If you'll remember way back when, in that turning of the corner season in 2013, Marshall drubbed Gardner-Webb 55 to nothing at the Joan. Uh, a couple of bullet point things for me leading into this game. This is really the last opportunity that Marshall's going to have to correct some issues before they get into the gauntlet of the Sunbelt East Conference schedule. Uh, this is it. If it doesn't get right here, you're really playing with fire. You're really starting to fly a little close to the sun about getting things right on the fly, and that's that's tough. That's tough. Uh, weather conditions. Uh, you can expect what the forecast is calling tropical rainstorm conditions with a kick time temperature around 62 degrees now what does that mean well i'm experiencing it right now it's pretty heavy rain it's pretty gusty wind and 
given that the herd couldn't really muster a pass game last week, I don't think weather conditions are going to lend itself to being uber successful for either team through the air. Now, what can you take away from that? Well, Marshall's really good at running the ball, and usually those sloppy, nasty games in the wet lend itself to the team that can run the ball and hold on to the ball. They're going to win the game. The last one is a question mark to me, Russ. Will we see Rasheen Ali make a return, even in limited action? Is this the game where they test fires a return for 2022 to see if it feels okay, to see if everything's a full go? Or if they say, yeah, you know what? Let's not take any chances of Gardner-Webb. We'll rest him for another 10 days. We shall see. So, Russ, before we get into players to look out for and keys to victory in this game, what do you think about Gardner-Webb coming to the Joan? Well, can I can I answer the Rasheen Ali question you first? You can. You got a hat you can put on? Yeah, I'm going to take my speculation hat off that I used last night to say that he would be back on Saturday. And now I'm going to take my it's not going to happen hat and throw it on Uh-oh. because because of all the rain. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Good point. Uh, you know, the, I kept looking at the the forecast and I kept hoping that it would change a little bit, especially with the path of the hurricane. And, you know, once it hits land and things, generally the model changes, you know, uh, uh, just the nature of, of forecasting and we don't know what it's going to do. And then it kind of, well, it went this way and it's going to bypass a lot of Huntington, West Virginia, who just happens to be quite a ways away from from where it hit land down in fort myers but um it's still looking like heavy rain and that is not really an ideal situation that you might want to put someone back in for their first play uh as they get the rust off as i talked about last night so i'm now believing unless the forecast changes i don't think he's going to play i think you sit him another 11 days for game action and bringing back on that Wednesday night game on the 12th. Yeah, we had, we both felt really strongly about on last night's show, uh, the mailbag with DJ that, uh, we would see him Saturday, even if it was just to test fire things and see if it feels good. And then if it's no, then you shut it right down. But given the fact, let's call it weather pending, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's do that. Let's say something, 100%. something yep. crazy happens and it's dry for the game in, uh, even if it's just dry at kickoff, Maybe mm-hmm. you see him early for a carry or two, and if mm-hmm. conditions are going to start worsening as the game goes along, then maybe you don't see him anymore. So it's still a weather-pending scenario for me. Uh, now, granted, I've been keeping my eye pretty close to the track of Hurricane Ian, right, uh, for good reason. And based on what I've seen, you know, you you mentioned just now that the hurricane made landfall Fort Myers. Well, it's going to basically ride the I-4 corridor up Florida and exit Florida around Daytona Beach. And then mm-hmm. it's expected to make that really weird dog leg and hook right back towards the middle of the country. So I don't think you're going to see good weather on Saturday for Marshall. Yeah, I don't either. And that's why I said that uh, I've been trying to watch it, but I am now... Wednesday night. I mean, this is almost Thursday morning uh, as we're recording that I'm just not optimistic anymore that we're going to have good weather. And that's not a good opportune time to put someone in for the that is so important. Yeah. And what is not an important game and that's not a slight to Gardner Webb. It does not matter. And except for the overall record, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does not factor into your bowl 
games. You know, you've yeah. got to win seven and I I don't know. Um well I guess it no, it doesn't really because we we've already beat an FCS team, you yeah. know. So um I just I'm not optimistic now. Now to get back on the question that you posed to me, I think that this is a game that you dangerously do not want to overlook. They came really, really close to beating Coastal Carolina. They put up uh, 448 yards of passing, 403 from their main guy. Their backup came in for one throw and threw for 45. They put up massive chunk plays as well against that team. And all of that when Coastal held them to 40-some yards rushing total. So what have we done? We have shut down runs. We have made it to where no one can really run on us, but we have been susceptible to the big passes and the big plays through the air on occasion. So it's a little game that I am not uh, not looking at the same way that I did Norfolk the first game when I said 56-14, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I am looking at we really need to come to play and fix some of our offensive problems because they might throw up several touchdowns against us. I think just looking at their schedule, they started out really, really, really hot, right? And I think mm-hmm. they loaded up to try to beat Coastal because, mm-hmm. let's face it, that would have been a shocker win for them, you know? Uh, because just this past couple of weeks, much like, you know, we've seen with Marshall struggle a little bit, they let Elon beat them, and then they got trounced by Mercer 45-14 to 14 just this last weekend. So they got it handed to them pretty in a pretty telling fashion just this past weekend. So I don't know really how how um, lethal how how dangerous they are, uh, but you know they could have been they they could have thrown pick after pick in that game. We don't know how it played out. I didn't go back and look at the stats. I don't deep dive into that kind of stuff. But um, this is an opportunity for Marshall to get things back on track that's that's really what it is you can't overlook them because you don't want to go to two and three and then people go okay we lost to bowling green that was rough okay we went down and couldn't muster a passing game and lost a tight one to troy and now we lose at home to gardner webb you can't have that i mean you you just cannot have that so i expect her to take care of business i don't think we'll see a big huge blowout win you know i think it'll be the points will be curbed by needing to uh, shore some things up, you know, and mm-hmm. make sure we're getting some things right. So there probably won't be a bunch of r- unnecessary risks being taken because they want to assure that, you know, we're we're putting some quality out there, game in and game out, play in, or play in and play out. And it just might not lead to a ton of points. Now, again, for the third consecutive week, I'm going to talk about the ESPN Power Index. And for the third consecutive week, I don't think it matters anymore because the last two weeks, Marshall has been a favorite and has lost. And for three weeks in a row, Marshall has just beaten what the Power Index said it was going to They were an underdog at Notre Dame and won and a favorite the last two weeks and lost. But look, man, 98.7% chance to win for the herd in a home game. <laughs> This is not one that you can go stink it up. I mean, it's not. You have to go take care of your business this week. So that said, 
Let's talk about some players on this Gardner Webb team that you might need to pay attention to. I have one thing before you get into that okay. is I said that uh, it was their backup quarterback. I was just misremembering. It was actually a wide receiver pass for 45 yards. So before you get into that, any of our Gardner Webb listeners, I apologize for getting that wrong, but uh, we'll be talking about that individual as part of what KD's about to do. Sorry. Potentially because I have no idea who threw the pass. It's, it, it's Huggins. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have him written down. Sorry. Okay. Uh, quarterback number 14, Bailey Fisher, 5'11", 207-pound senior. This is a very senior-heavy team, both on offensive playmakers and defensive playmakers. Uh, 73 out of 110 on the season for Mr. Fisher. 832 yards, four touchdowns versus three picks, and sacked 10 times. Uh, a couple of running backs we got to talk about who are basically putting up similar numbers, just one's doing it on far fewer carries. Number six running back, Donovan Jones, five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pounds, sophomore, thirty-two carries on the season for one hundred and fifty yards, two touchdowns, good for four point seven yards per carry. And number twenty-two, Nari Gator, the five foot ten, one hundred and eighty-one pound senior, just fourteen carries on the season, but one hundred and forty-six yards and a touchdown, good for ten point four yards per carry. A couple of wide receivers to pay attention to. One is the big deep threat it seems like and the other one is that chain moving um possession receiver uh number zero tj luther is your over the top seemingly deep threat the six foot one 180 pound senior 15 catches for 340 yards on the season two touchdowns 22.7 yards per reception and number five wide receiver patrell haywood six foot 217 pound senior 26 catches on the season, 245 yards and a touchdown good for 9.4 yards per carry. Um, average output for this Gardner-Webb team, 436.8 yards per game. 297 of those are coming through the air, and they're averaging roughly 30 points per game. So, uh, now granted, they put up 27 against Coastal Carolina, and it's a little bit of an outlier from their week one game where they put up 56 points against Limestone. So, you know, their last two games, they're really averaging, what is that, 30 and 14. I mean, somewhere in the... 22. Mid, yeah, the mid, the early 20s, the low 20s. So that's more of an accurate depiction of where they are now as a snapshot. Uh, defensively, uh, it starts at uh, linebacker with number 42, William McCraney. Six foot, two hundred and seventeen pound junior. Twenty eight total tackles on the season. Seven of those solo. Two sacks and an interception. Number one defensive lineman Jonathan Turner. Six foot three, three oh six. Also a senior. Twenty five total tackles. Seven of those solo and two sacks. And number forty seven defensive end Ty French. Six foot three, two hundred and thirty pound junior. Twenty three total tackles, nine solo and a sack and a half. Um, this this. Gardner-Webb defense is allowing 386.5 yards per game, 125 of those coming from the ground, and they're giving up 31.8 points per game on average. But again, over their last two, they're well over you know, 35 points a game, 33 points per game. So in a snapshot scenario, they're a little bit worse than their season averages on both offense and defense as far as the points per game output is, is concerned. Impact plays as a team, 10 sacks, 
accounted mostly by those three guys we just spotlighted. That's five and a half of the ten right there. Two interceptions as a team, one forced fumble, and one fumble recovery. So there's not anything that I can say they do overly well. You know, they they might pass the ball a good bit, but um, nothing just honestly blows you away to go, this is a real concern. This is a mismatch nightmare for the herd. I don't know how they're going to stack up here. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. So they're just a they're just a decent ball club that likes to throw the ball a little bit, and you know they get an impact play from time to time. Russ, um, how, first of all, let, let's see if we can smooth this out a little bit. How many keys to victory do you have for the herd this week? Three. Okay, and I and we'll alternate this okay. time. Well, I mean, I have four. I generally have okay. four, but you know, for some reason, we don't ever talk about how many you have. So, um, uh, yeah, go ahead and give me uh, what you think your number one key to victory is for the herd this week. Number one is uh, in this inclement weather, we have to control the ball and not give up any turnovers. Um, with you know, I'm thinking of that Middle Tennessee game where we had six. You cannot be fumbling because of the weather, that sort of thing, to give a team like this a chance to do it. Um, by far, I think that is going to be our number one because I think we do have a lot more talent and depth on the on the field than this team, but we cannot have four or five turnovers. It's going to be sloppy. We're going to have to have ball control. Yep, and that was actually my number one key to victory as well. Ball security is paramount, right? And and you talked about the six-turnover game with Middle Tennessee. What I'm thinking of as far as this game could look like is the Charlotte game from several years ago down in Charlotte when it was nasty and rainy. And like Marshall, a 10-7 game, was it? it? Was, I don't remember what it was, but it was just terrible conditions. Mm -hmm. But what I say to that is both teams play in that weather, so it can't be an excuse if one team's able to take care of the football and one team isn't, you can't blame the weather because both teams are playing in that same weather. So ball security is going to be paramount. Conversely, if your defense is playing more of a first guy stands them up, second and third guy are trying to rip the ball away, in a game like this and weather conditions like this, you might be able to get an extra one of those to go your way. So... Just as ball security on offense is paramount, attacking the football with the second and third defenders to make the play is equally as important to create some potential more opportunities for your offense. What's your number two key to victory for the herd? It's going to be extremely tough, and that is throw the ball through the air because with the, the weather and the unknown and how nasty it might be, but we have got to establish that before we go back into playing Louisiana and the rest of our conference schedule. We are going to have to not be one-dimensional, and that has nothing more. I know it's a key to the game. It's not a key to victory in this game. We can win this game by not establishing the pass, especially if it, if it looks like a swamp, you know, but I think it is a key to the game in the essence that we have got to get that back. If it's just for confidence, if it's just for, hey, yes, we can do it and we can do it in this weather, or if it's just for the fans to see that, yes, we can. It's got to be in this game. We've got to be able to pass. 
So I'm not disagreeing with you, but this is going to sound like um, a, a total opposite direct conflict of what you, what you just said. Mm-hmm. My number two key to victory is Marshall's going to have to effectively run the football because in a nasty game to where hard, yards might be hard, you're going to have to be able to effectively run the ball consistently and pick up those yards. Now, the caveat to that is how this plays into what you said is if you can effectively run the ball and you can get a few scores on the board and you can also have your defense stop that offense of Gardner-Webb or maybe create a turnover or two early in the game, you afford yourself the luxury to try to get that passing game right in inclement conditions. You know, it doesn't become as much of a necessity as it is, all right, we have the luxury to take a few chances here and try to call a few pass plays when we otherwise would need to run. So while I'm not disagreeing with you for one of us to say we have to pass and to me to turn around, write it around and say, well, we have to run. uh, It doesn't mean I disagree with you. It just means my number two key to victory is we have to run. Number three, what is your third and what you say final key to victory for the herd? Stop their passing game, which I would assume would be a lot easier in monsoon conditions, but it's still a key to this game. We cannot allow them to throw for 300 against us. Uh, we cannot allow the big plays. We cannot allow them to be in the, I can get a field goal here. I can get in, squeeze in for a touchdown there because in a game like this where points might be a premium just due to the weather conditions that could be a lot worse, you really, really, really do not want to give up so much field position that even if you stop them, then you've got 90-some yards to go. So we have got to contain their passing game. Um, a fair point, right? Because we know if there's sustained wins and if it's – let's let's say it sustains from the entire game. Um, two of those quarters, you're going to have the wind you would think at your back. So it's going to lend itself to easier passing. So at least half of the game, you're going to have to play solid pass defense. The other half of the game, you're going to have the conditions helping you play defense and again both teams are going to have to play in that so uh i I definitely do not disagree with you this is something that i'm calling you got to do the dirty work right because you know it's going to suck it's going to be wet and nasty and either you're the type of guy that likes playing ball in that type of weather or you're probably the type of guy that doesn't like playing ball in that type of weather either way whether you want to be there you don't want to be there it's going to be nasty most likely So you're going to have to do the dirty work, and another term I'll use is you're going to have to embrace the suck. It's going to suck, so you might as well be like, screw it. I'll make the most of this, and I'll go have you know one of the best games I may have all year, because I'm not going to let this uh, these dreary conditions or these you know wet socks bug me. (laughs) I'm just going to go out and have a great game anyway. Uh, Since you don't have another, um, my last one is one of those. Um, kind of internal, like gut check type things. And uh, I said, I call, I'm calling it, you're going to have to find reasons why. You're going to have to find reasons why you can go out and achieve. You're going to have to find reasons why you he- need to give that extra effort. You're going to have to find reasons why this needs to happen, right? Because we've stated a lot of them. You don't want to go two and three, you don't want to have a loss to Gardner Webb. Because all of a sudden, all those folks that are on the cliff or teetering are just going to probably start jumping. And uh, it would be hard to justify. You know, we can't come on a podcast a week from now and say, well, the weather was terrible and we just couldn't get it done. And because 
one team's going to get it done regardless on Saturday. Hell or high water, sunshine or hurricane, one team's going to win and one team's going to lose unless the game gets canceled. So you're going to have to find reasons why, whatever that means to you, of why the herd is the team that comes out on top. Uh, Russ, who is your Thundercast player of the week? Kalen Labron. Uh, ride that horse, man. Got to keep giving him the ball. It's going to be probably a mess, but that could be one of those situations where he's still faster than everybody else. And they're trying to ice skate uphill while he is just running downhill against them. Um, until he's not the guy, he's the guy. And right now you got to feed that guy. I think that's an excellent way to put that. And he is also my pick this week. Whenever you've got a guy that's off to a start that no other herd running back has ever seen, he's doing something right. And you got to keep feeding that, uh, feeding that guy. He's he's doing a lot to uh, help this team win week in and week out. In these conditions that we may project that we're going to see, his ability, his the moves that he makes uh, could become even more ankle breaking, right? Because he makes guys look foolish at times anyway. So if they can't get sure footing and he's able to get one foot to stick, or you know, be able to make a move to where. Uh, those defenders are even more off balance. He could he could have a really special day. This could be one of those days where you finally say, "Man, is he going to go for two bills?" You know, because it's it's those conditions that equalize things to where a twenty yard run might go. Huh, well, it's sixty five yards to the house now. You know, so he's my pick too, and I'm expecting a big day. Conversely, well, not conversely, but in addition to this, is a great opportunity to where Marshall's really deep running back room might have a lot of stars, you know, on Saturday. You might see four or five guys with two or three carries and, and 20 yards or something like that to go up and down that roster. I, I just foresee a really big rush day team-wise for the herd coming up in this one. Uh, would you like to venture a score prediction? Oh, I hate to, but, <laughs> I mean, we we have to. And I'm going to say that weather makes it nastier than what it uh, what it otherwise would have been. And my perception of this entire game has changed in the last day and more than that, the last two days, you know, just because of the weather, but I'm going to say something like 24, 13, uh, low scoring. I know I said they could put a lot of points up on us. Well, they could, if they get, if we miss those tackles and then, you know, it's not off to the races, but you just cannot catch them because you can't run very fast in these conditions. So I don't think that they do put up the big uh, three or four touchdowns against us. I think that our defense shuts them down pretty effectively. Uh, they sneak in a field goal or two and a, a fluke touchdown. We end up getting three touchdowns and a field goal 24-13. Uh, I'm going to go with a little bit higher of a scoring affair just because I'm trying to take into account uh, that there could be a turnover that allows for a short field, you know, for, for Garner Webb to punch in a, a, a gimme. And, um, but I still like the herd to be able to put points up a little bit more consistently than we've seen this last week. Uh, because I, I just like the way that the herd run game could potentially dominate this game. So give me 31 to 21. The herd just kind of wins in a, 
ho-hum game where everybody's kind of scoring, but it's never really in danger of being a loss. Uh, it's just one of those weird ones, right? You, you, the weather in account and, you know, this factor and that factor and every other factor, it could be a 10 to three ball game for all I know. And these teams could combine for eight turnovers or something weird, but I'm just going to go the other way with it. I'm going to say 31, 21 and everybody scores a little bit. The herd just does plenty to get the, get the win. And you're like, all right, well, it's nice to be back in the win column. That's it. Uh, final thoughts on Gardner Webb. My final thoughts on Gardner Webb revolve around the tailgate itself and the sponsor that we have for that. Of course, we're going to be doing Thundercast Live. Hopefully you can join in, you know, with kind of weather pending on you more than uh, than Ali getting in the game. I think it's uh, that's the weather pending, but rain or shine, I'm going to tailgate and (laughs) (laughs) I've shown that to you before and (laughs) I'm going to tailgate and we are going to have uh, McCormick Insurance Group, a brand new insurance agency that's located down in Cerrito. They are going to be the host of this tailgate that is uh, bringing you some local food, you know, so they are hosting the food portion of the tailgate, the food and drink, and they are getting Cam's ham. Uh, They go back a long time here in, in Huntington and we're going to have some Cam's ham sandwiches of various different kinds over at the tailgate. So we'll have a uh, tent up. So the the sandwiches will be dry. Rain is not going to scare us away. McCormick Insurance Group is going to be there. I'd like to see people come out, support the herd, come over and tailgate with us, and we're going to have a good time. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous of that, right, because it's been a long time. It's been five years now since I've left Huntington, so it's been at least five years since I've had a Cam's Ham sandwich. And of the many things that I miss about living in and around Huntington, some of those local old school spots are the things that I miss the most, you know, and you, and you don't really think about it. You know, it's like, um, I, I don't get to just hop across town and get some Sam's hot dogs when I want them. And I don't get to go to Cam's ham when I want to. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't just run down the street here in land of lakes and get a, a, a sandwich from Giovanni's or anything like that, you know? So, uh, that's that's a cool that's a nice change of pace that's not one that i i usually think about as being like a tailgate catered deal you know so mm-hmm. that's cool man that bringing uh bringing some cam's ham to the uh, tailgate is going to be awesome so if you're in the need for um you know like revamping your insurance or you're thinking about you know making a change or just seeing what might be out there uh give a give a give a shout to the mccormick insurance group and see if they can get you set up with all of your insurance needs maybe save you a little bit of money along the way. So uh, I can, appreciate- I can, I can tell you, sorry, I thought you were, you were done there. Uh, I can tell you that I did just that. Uh, this was before they uh, became a sponsor for this tailgate, but uh, I have known Matt for a, a long time. And when he opened up his agency, you know, I had told him that I would check my current coverage that, you know, I do that every so often to, to see. And he not only saved me money, but I increased my coverage on my uh, vehicles and on my house. Uh, you know how prices have gone up on houses, and I had not increased my coverage on my house in a, a long time. And uh, I did that, and I was still saving, you know, a few hundred dollars on the year. 
And he's had several people that have put that on reviews I've seen on the social media because the Thundercast on Facebook follows that page as they're a sponsor of ours. And it is uh, something that is a near constant that once a week someone is posting a review that they got better coverage, uh, higher coverages, and they saved money. So any of our listeners, yeah, I mean, this is a property and casualty specialty insurance. They also do life and commercial and other things, but all of us have to carry insurance on, on vehicles. So it's something you have to have. Maybe just give them a call and see if you're paying too much. I think there's also a misconception that you're like, well, you know, I've already got a, my policy doesn't run out for six months. That's irrelevant. Like you can change your insurance policy or update it, whatever you need to do. You can change carriers or providers at any time. And it's not like you're just out that money from your, your, your current carrier. Um, it's a, it's a service just like any other. You don't have to wait for that policy, that six months or whatever to be up to make a change. So it's something that you should get in the habit of looking into, you know, at least once a year, at least, mm -hmm. you know, checking your coverages and your premiums and, and shopping your insurance because, you know, in the, in, in the days that, that we live in now where your dollar doesn't go as far, it's always nice to find a place that saves you money and gives you more potential benefit for that same money. Yeah, and you get a uh, rebate check. It comes back a prorated amount wherever you are in that billing cycle or month of your coverage. They stop it at a certain date when you get adequate coverage from another uh, agency, and they will just reimburse you where you're at, and they stop taking the rest of your monthly payments for the rest of your term. So, yeah, of course, you can you can look and change anytime. So anyone out there, final thing I'm going to say about McCormick Insurance is just they're all over our social media this week because they're our sponsors. So find them on Facebook. Go to McCormickInsuranceGroup.com if you want to see their website. The phone numbers are on both of those. Give them a call or fill out a form that uh, is on the website that says, I'd like to get a quote, and they'll give you a call or an email and they'll get back to you. There you very go. Sim very simple. Can't beat it. Russ, let's take this around the herd. Yes, sir. All right, we have uh, soccer to start with, and we beat WVU. I don't know if anybody noticed that. <laughs> I did. Dur during that Troy game, we beat them one to nothing. Yosef uh, scored with roughly about five minutes uh, to go to uh, give us a good hard fault. Always hard against those guys in the Derby. It seems like we play one nothing one side or the other or or give or take we're right around that score and huge win obviously to move up from number four to number three to come out of there without a tie we have the coastal game that is coming up it was originally going to be friday at 7 p.m but because of this weather they have agreed to move the game up you'll probably be listening to this on thursday well it's tonight 7 p.m. It'll be on ESPN Plus, if I'm not mistaken. They It was originally going to be on Friday, so I'm assuming that ESPN Plus will still have that on Thursday. So 7 p.m. they play Coastal, and it still should be kind of little sloppy weather. Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. It, it, but, uh, you know, let, they're just anxious to uh, get a tail whipping one one day earlier. <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just a marquee 
marquee opponent coming to town, man. You got to, they just can't wait that extra 24 hours. But no, yeah, the, everything throughout the weekend is going to be impacted. If it's an outdoor sporting event anywhere along the East Coast, it's, it's going to be impacted. And what we've seen several games here uh, locally, college games, I think it's USF and East Carolina are moving their game to Boca, you know, to play mm -hmm. at FAU Stadium. Uh, so there's, there's just a lot going on. And, you know, you have to be able to, make changes when you can to try to ensure that a the game gets in and b everybody is safe as they possibly can be when they play these games and you know um the they're able to move this game up a day to make it happen then great so uh, but a huge win against west virginia university in front of a packed packed hoops family field at the vet uh we were fortunate enough to not only be able to give away our two tickets that we give away every home game but we had a listener come to us and say hey man i got three tickets i can't make it can you guys see that these guys get utilized and we were more than happy to give those away too. So that was awesome. We made sure as a, as the Thundercast that five butts got into seats for that game. And uh, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. We, we love to be able to make sure not only our tickets get utilized, but anybody that can't go, you should always feel free to hit us up in the DMS and say, Hey, I can't go. I've got tickets. Can you guys try to give them away for me? And we will gladly attempt to do that. Don't let tickets go unused. If, uh, like, we ain't going to sell them for you, but if you want to give them away and let people use them, then we'll gladly try to, you know, get a, get in, uh, butts in your seats for you. Yeah. We're going to keep it on the pitch and go to women's soccer, and they started off, this was right after we recorded last uh, week, they lost to Arkansas State 3-2, to two, and that was on Thursday, but they got off the schneid, man. They beat App State 3-2 to two on Sunday, and uh, now they have – Louisiana Monroe on Saturday at 2 p.m. I mean, it's nice to get one, right? They they had been a while, and they'd been fighting and just coming up short. Um, I I guess it's you got to start somewhere. You know, you can't end a losing streak until you get one in the win column, and they were able to get one against App. So let's see if we can keep it rolling against ULM. That's about all you can say. I mean, they're working. They're just they have been coming up short, and finally enough went right to be able to get a, get a game from app. So ULM is next on the list. Let's get these girls on a winning streak. Now over to round ball, we've got men's and women's basketball. Sunbelt media days is going to be October the 18th and the 19th in new Orleans. And if you saw what we did for football down there, that was a really nice venue. I had some cool stuff on ESPN and I'm looking forward to, to watching a little bit on that as well. Yeah, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Sunbelt headquarters are inside the Superdome, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's a first-class facility. <laughs> so you you should expect, if you watched any of Sunbelt Football Media Days, you should expect more of the same for basketball. And it just looks so good. It was visually appealing, you know, on, uh, on ESPN. And I had mentioned that I was um, – excited to see you know what uh dan d'antoni had to say what he was he's always the coolest cat in the room man he just <laughs> is and uh i watched a I watched a video today the of uh jake interviewing uh women's head coach tony kemper and i'd mentioned that i was excited to learn more about all that they had done to be able to hit the sun sunbelt era uh running so you know, we know that there was a big overhaul there from uh, essentially top to bottom and a lot of new everywhere. And it, it's it's really exciting. There's a lot to be pumped for. You know, we had big transfers in men's basketball. We got Tavion Kinsey's coming back. Andy Taylor's back. There More pieces are in place for this herd team to be 
more of the type of D'Antoni basketball style that we want to see. You know, more of those uh, long shots and more of those three-point shots, not just going up, but hopefully going in. And, uh, you know, we always – we know we're, we're more dangerous when we're able to effectively hit that three-point shot. That's just the kind of style of ball that uh, Dan likes to play. And uh, it seems like we went to the portal and uh, brought in a sniper, you know. So mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes. I'm excited to get a little bit of uh, insight on Sunbelt Media Days for that. Yeah, and you mentioned Sunbelt Media Days and their headquarters where it's located. And I've got a note here that says – Conference USA has moved into a new location as well. It's in a former Meineke muffler shop. Now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, they're <laughs> mo moving up. So good good job, guys. Uh, volleyball, tough, man. They lost to Old Dominion 3-1 to one on Thursday, lost again and got swept to Old Dominion 3 to nothing on Friday. These are sets, of course, that I'm talking about. Everyone knows the scoring in volleyball. Then they... Came back home and lost to Eastern Kentucky three to one on Tuesday. Got to get back on again. This is one of these get off the schneid, get on the the winning side. They are hosting Georgia State here Thursday and Friday. Now you don't have to worry about weather on those because it's going to be inside the cam. So if you got nothing to do on Thursday and Friday, that's a really good uh, free event to go to. Take the family. I saw some photos there from Eastern Kentucky and they had uh, student athlete appreciation night and it was just a very good crowd. Go down there and cheer the girls on. It's a, it's a very fun atmosphere. Yeah. I was, you know, in the house because we got this storm going on and, you know, it's just, everybody's kind of frantically running around getting preparations for, you know, at that point it looked like uh, Ian was going to make landfall closer to Tampa. So everybody in my area was just kind of freaking out and trying to get things in. So we didn't want to be on the road. And I was inside the house and I was like, Hey, the volleyball games or volleyball team's playing right now. And I clicked it on and we were, you know, I watched quite a bit of the match with uh, Eastern Kentucky and Marshall actually won the first set. And then it just kind of went downhill from there, but man, that was entertaining just from my living room and the crowd shots was, it was bigger than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you, you know? Yeah. And, and I think we should shift our narrative from being, like, if you don't have anything to do, go do that, to this is what's going on, go do that. That should yeah. be your thing to do because it was, it looked like it was fun. You know, there was a lot of, we've talked about it before. There's a lot of energy flowing around in those, in the, in the cam during those games. And, and this was more the same. It was, it would have been nice to be in the gym, you know, to see that live. And I, I mean, I was, it was entertaining to watch just on TV. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's not a lot of huge production value being sunk into volleyball matches and it was still fun. It was still fun to watch. So if you're around Huntington, go, go have a good time, go experience it. Don't, don't think, well, I've got nothing else to do. Maybe I'll go, no, make that mark it down, pick a series to go, go this weekend, go Thursday and, and, uh, Friday and watch them play Georgia state. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. We talk about all of our sports here and like to put shine on all of them. And just taking my daughters over to watch, you know, female athletes playing at a high level, they had such a blast to see, hey, I want to do this. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So uh, if you got family, take them over there. It's a great atmosphere. I cannot harp on that enough. Now, wait a minute. Before you go on, uh, I'm, I 
I tweeted this because I saw it lot when I was watching the game. I got to mention Ari's jacket. I mean, did you see that thing? Like the I did. throw? Oh yeah. man, what a sweet coat! That's like throwback '90s all the way. That looked like, you know, what my high school baseball team had, except uh, it was green and white. It was a Marshall jacket. It was pretty slick. So we had the not us, but I mean Marshall had the Twitter handle Harrian's jacket. So why don't we have one for Ari's jacket? <laughs> you know, because it's in a totally different concept here you know we're not talking about when will that jacket come off and be thrown onto the ground <laughs> we're talking about how boss is this jacket going to be every week you know so somebody we've got some creative fans somebody get on that yeah uh, please cre- credit me yeah all right tennis uh johanna strom and angela lupachik or lupachik won singles matches on the final day of this uh what was it called? Thunder in the Mountains. Yeah, Thunder in the Mountains. Yeah. And uh, I'm going backwards here from the final day back to the first day. Uh, they won single matches on the final day, and it was Marshall versus Cincinnati on all singles. Uh, I, I, I'm, I apologize. I did not click the ear on Herd Zone. So. Aha, you made my <laughs> mistake. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Ricky Gillar. Uh, and Sophia Hurion won their doubles match on day two. And all the way back on day one, Johanna Strom and Emma Vander Hayden split their doubles matches one to one. And Angela Lopachik and Sophia Hurion won both their matches. Coming up, this is October the 1st through the 6th. So Saturday through next Friday, we have the ITA Women's All-American Championships that they'll be competing in. So little more like an exhibition kind of thing. We talked about being a, an event uh, warming up for the season, but also local, but in Charleston. So they could co-host it with WVU and they had the dinner and the, the meet and greet and that sort of thing. And they invited Cincinnati and some other, you know, localish regional teams to come down. So that looked like a really cool event. And I'm, I'm, I didn't see any, crowd shots of photos or anything to tell you how well attended it was but i just know that such an event there's not a lot of those around here Mm -hmm. i imagine that people that were into tennis just ate it up and went to that yeah and i imagine having that in charleston was a bigger draw because there's Mm -hmm. a you know there are several tennis clubs in in charleston and you know you've got more of a like it's it's a popular sport at like the uh, like the private schools and things like that. So it's a good draw to get some of those high school kids out to watch uh, you know some of the local colleges and and have an event instead of just going to a tennis match. So pretty cool. Uh, I'm glad that we had some success there as well. Uh, it's pretty nice to to always hear that uh, our athletes are are pulling their own weight. I don't, I don't want that to come out the wrong way, but it's, it's nice that we just didn't go in and get trounced. Right. We, we had right. some success there, both in singles and doubles, several of our gals, uh, in, in multiple, in both disciplines, both singles and doubles. So that was pretty cool. It sounds like it was a success all the way around for herd tennis. And we're going to close out going around the herd with golf for the, the women and the men, the women have an upcoming, the Butler fall classic. That'll be on 10, three and 10, four. And the same dates, 10-3 and 10-4, the men will be at the Georgia State Invitational. So a couple of things coming up for those teams. Nice. Uh, short and sweet this week, but, man, basketball is already getting close. I mean, we're about to start getting real busy 
on the old Thundercast here. Um, Russ, it, it was it was an up and down week in herd athletics. Of course, you know we did we didn't get it done on the gridiron, but we got it done on the pitch. Um, some big news coming around from basketball as those seasons gear up. So if you got anything to close it out, let's have it. Otherwise, take us out of here. As usual, I'm going to highlight our sponsors. We talked about McCormick Insurance Group earlier that's doing the uh, tailgate sponsorship for the food. But what we didn't say is Ignite Link always powers that Thundercast Live experience for our tailgate. They'll be right there with us, Jed, Will, and we're going to have a top-notch, even in the rain, you know, production standpoint, all because of Ignite Link. And we obviously cannot leave out 304carwreck.com. The two of those sponsors have just nailed it since the start. They're great companies. They're local companies. And I urge everybody to follow them on their various social media and use them when you have a need for them. Uh, I, of course, will not be at the ball game this weekend, but hopefully... Slacker. Well, I mean, (laughs) weather permitting and, uh, you know, power and internet services permitting, uh, you guys will see me at Thundercast Live from my home studio office slash whatever. Uh, So... I'll still hopefully be able to join in on the fun. I just won't be won't be able to be there live. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, I can't be there every week, though I'd love to be. So, Russ, take us the heck out of here. All right. Whether you see us over at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, whether you see us halfway underwater at the tailgate in the game, or whether you see us down in texas going to a former meineke muffler shop just to say (laughs) hi no matter where you see us we're going to be saying go herd (laughs) go herd it's the thundercast we'll see you uh, later this week later